Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I love one of the features on uh, this, you know, modern era of cell phones, the smartphones, where when somebody calls, I can look at it, and it shows the number, and then it will say, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Golay is calling, and and I know right away, if I, if I can't twite, quite tell his voice, I at least know who's supposed to be on the other end, and I can say, hi, Glenn, how you doing? A couple of weeks ago, I got calls from two different men uh, in the week, just, you know, two different occurrences, where they said, hi, this is so-and-so. And I went, oh, you know, like it's, all I could see is the number, and I had to say, help me out, which so-and-so is this? Oh, you know, so-and-so, and, I, and it still took me a minute. Okay, okay. Um, I need to know who's calling before I know how to reply. It's even worse when you get a text message and all there is is a phone number and somebody has sent you an inquiry in a text message and you think, I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know how I should take this message. We've been thinking about living in peace And the thing we want to understand today or begin to is this. Living in peace requires the ability to recognize God's voice as we make decisions about the future. The ability to recognize God's voice. It's not hard to go out in the Christian world and hear hear people say, well, God told me or God said this or God said that or the other. And the question we need to answer in our own lives is, did God speak? And have we made the choice that God wants us to make based on truly hearing his voice? Because if we're going to live in peace, we need to be confident about the choices we make day by day, whether it's a short-term choice or a long-term choice. And the way to be at peace about where we're going to be is to know that we are actually hearing God's voice. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And the first thing that we need to understand is that God's voice is known or recognized through his spirit. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the things of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know or understand the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, I could not speak to you as to such spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? 
The simple truth that is here is this. We can only recognize God's voice if we have the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in communicating God's truth to man is spoken of on, in several levels in this passage. One of the levels that it's spoken of is what we would call revelation or the revelation of God's truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who took God's truth and brought it and so superintended the Apostle Paul or Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and so on. He so superintended their thinking and their actions and their circumstances so that what they wrote, what we have here, is the word of God. There was not a guy named Matthew who sat down and thought, now, what should I talk about separate from the Holy Spirit infusing him with those thoughts, helping him to understand? And, and so God's truth came to us through the Holy Spirit, but not only did it come to us in terms of revelation, but the ability to understand in an ongoing sense is the work of the Holy Spirit. And here... The problem, of course, was that these people knew the Lord, but they weren't walking in the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit come to us? How do we get him so that we can understand God's truth? Well, I believe Ephesians 1 puts that to us in a very good summary, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, one of the results of that is that the Holy Spirit comes into us. And that's based on us believing the gospel. It's not just believing there is a God. It's not just believing that Christ was a historic figure. The gospel is this. We are sinners under a punishment, judgment, uh, from God, and our destiny without Christ is eternity in hell or in punishment. God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. His death satisfied God's demand for punishment. It's a little bit like having a house that's gone underwater. The bank is demanding payment, and you say, I can't pay, I can't pay, I can't pay, and somebody else comes along and says, I'll pay. And the bank says, I don't care who pays as long as somebody pays. And the bank is satisfied as to their demand on you, and you are free from the debt that you owed. That's what God did in Christ. We couldn't pay the debt. There was no way. We were upside down in our life. And God sent Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and died on the cross and his shed blood satisfied God's demand for payment for our sin. And in response to that, what God asks is that we believe in Christ. We believe that he was the Son of God, that he died for our sin, that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day. And when we do that, according to this scripture, the Holy Spirit is given to us, and because of that Holy Spirit we can now, we have the ability to understand God's thoughts. And that's what this is. This is God's thoughts expressed in a written form. The last few years of, uh, of my life have been the first time that I can remember pretty much that I was 
dogless. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we had dogs. In our younger years, in our married life, we had dogs. But uh, Arthur has gone on to his reward. And uh, we have resisted the urge to replace him. But now, all is well because we have a grand dog. <laughs> we have a grand dog. You know, like a grandson, granddaughter, grand dog. This is Buster. Buster the grand dog. We can pet him. We can watch him grow up. We can watch him bite the feathers off the rooster and leave his business in the yard and then go home. What a great time of life. What an awesome time of life. I talk to Buster, and Buster talks to me, but ultimately, I have no idea what he's thinking because I don't have a dog spirit and he doesn't have a human spirit. If you're going to talk to God, if you're going to listen to God, if you're going to hear God's voice, you have to have the Holy Spirit of God in you. There's no other way. And that comes through faith in Christ, which brings not only the forgiveness of sins, but the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can only recognize God's voice if we have the Holy Spirit. But secondly, we can only recognize God's voice if we're living in righteousness. In the second part of this passage I read, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3, we realize that these, were, these are church-going people he's talking to. These are people who would say, if, if you said to them, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Do you love the Lord? Yes, I love the Lord. Do you gather together with Christians every week? Yes, I gather together with Christians every week. But what they didn't know, and part of it was because they were still growing up in the Lord, and part of it was because the Bible hadn't been fully written yet, and part of it was because they had forgotten what Paul had taught them while he was there in person. What they didn't know was they were living in sin in the way they were interacting with people in the church. And they were not only living in sin, but they came, became entrenched in that sin. And that sin is, is what Paul talks about them being divided and divisive about you know, groups of who I follow and who's the best and so on. And, and so they were living in sin. And what we need to understand is the result of living in sin is put right there at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 3. I could not speak to you as to spiritual people. I had to talk to you like unbelievers. That's really the best paraphrase. The word carnal means fleshly, and, he's, and he used the contrast in chapter 2 between the natural person, the person who's just a normal human being but not born again, and the, and the contrast with the born-again person. The born-again person has the Spirit of God. The natural person does not. And he says, even though you have the Spirit of God, I couldn't talk to you that way because sin if I could paraphrase not only this passage, but a lot of passages in the New Testament, sin has clouded your relationship with God. They did not know that they were living in sin, or if they knew, they were ignoring it. And so because they were living in sin, they couldn't hear God's voice. You can't walk with God and walk in sin at the same time. You can be a Christian... Because God doesn't cast you out every time you sin. But when you are a Christian walking with God and trying to walk in sin, 
then the ministry of God is not one of guidance, but one of rebuke and one of chastening. You cannot walk in sin and have the guiding hand of God at the same time. For those of you that are too young to remember this, I believe it's still sold today, but this was a real fad a number of years ago. It was one of the first really big fad diets where you would drink this this beverage instead of a meal. It would be a meal replacement, and you would lose weight by cutting down your calories that way. I had some older friends who decided to go on the slim fast diet. And after a period of time, we said, how are you doing on that diet? They said, well, it's not working that good. We're gaining weight. Said, no, you're, you're drinking the drink, but not eating the meal, right? Oh. <laughs> they thought it was some kind of miracle thing. You drink it with the meal and you lose weight, you know? You cannot walk in sin and righteousness at the same time. You cannot walk in sin and hear God's voice. Because the only thing God is saying to you is, get right with me, let go of that sin, stop doing that, start doing righteousness. You cannot allow sin to remain and walk with the Lord confidently at the same time. No no matter how much you pray or read your Bible or seek advice from wise people, you will not know God's will for your life for today or the decisions that affect tomorrow unless... You're connected to God by the Holy Spirit and living righteously. That's the first and foremost thing of how we, we hear God's Spirit by knowing Him in the Spirit. Number two, God's voice is heard clearly through His Word. When we are trying to perceive how to act in a given situation or move forward on a specific issue, we must start in God's Word. Now, a lot of that can be done, especially over the, if you have known Christ for years, you know a lot of God's word. So as you come into a situation on a given day, you think, what would God have me to do? And, and you might even tick off the, the list, well, God wants me to think this way or have this heart or this motivation or here's a specific, and, and you're able to apply God's word. Sometimes you come into situations and you think, I'm not quite sure what to do. And so you ought to go literally to the Bible and say, Let's, let's skim through some books. Let's skim through some passages. Let's see what God says. And, of course, we might want to talk to some other people about that, too. Now, you might know this guy here. He just signed a $80 million contract, $67 million guaranteed, something like that. So he overnight, there's one more millionaire in the country. And poor old Paul Allen, he's only got... 40 bazillion dollars instead of 20 or 80 or whatever he had before. This is his fiance. This is Russell Wilson's fiance. Russell Wilson was interviewed at a church. Russell Wilson claims to be a Christian. I, you know, I'll take his word for it. Um, he was interviewed at a church, and the pastor said, Now we've heard that you're not going to have sex until you're married, you're going to be abstinent in the, your relationship with this woman. And he said, yes, God has a special anointing. I believe God has a special anointing on my life and her life, and God wants to use us in some special ways, and so we're not going to have sex until we get married. Now think about that just a minute. Does that mean if God didn't have a special anointing on your life, then it would be okay to have sex before you're married? 
Or let me suggest the radical, radical thought. If you wanted to know what your relationship should look, look like before marriage, where might you look to find out what it should look like? What? Would you need a special word from God to know whether or not you should have a sexual relationship before marriage? That's kind of weak. Okay. Now, I love Russell, Russell Wilson when he wins. And so I'm, I'm not here to denigrate him. Okay. What he said is what a lot of Christians think. They're looking for a special word about a specific behavior that God has already nailed down in the Scripture. God has so many specific instructions that we rarely need to seek special direction. And when people tell me they are praying about something written in the Bible, I want to say I hope you're praying to God for courage to do the right thing, not about whether or not you're supposed to do the right thing. The vital truth is really simple. God has already told every Christian that they should do these things and not do these things. We don't need special instruction. We don't need a special call. Hear me all the way out on this. We don't need to pray to know God's will if it's written in the Bible. Now, we might need to pray for strength to live it out. We also don't need to ask anybody's opinion well, what do you think? Do you think I should do this? Do you think I should do this? You know, this person said this, but this person said that, and I'm just not sure what I'm going to do. Hey, don't even have the discussion. Does God say it? Do it. Does God say don't do it? Don't do it. God has so many specific instructions. We rarely need direction. And that's why this verse is so precious. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What does this verse mean? Does it mean you're just thinking about God? Oh, I'm thinking about God and I'm so peaceful. No. It means you're thinking God's thoughts and so you're making God's choices so you're at peace. We can walk confidently and peacefully and now that doesn't mean there might not be difficulty. I'm not saying there's some kind of utopia to be entered into. That doesn't mean there won't be difficulty and challenge. I mean, you know, right now in our country, we just entered a period where the society has said certain things are okay that we think are not okay. And if we stand up and speak that truth, might there be difficulty? I think there might. Does that mean we have to live without peace? No. We can be at peace even when there's persecution because we know we're doing what God wants. When you apply God's truth to your life, you're thinking like God, and the result will be God's peace. The, But there are times when it's challenging to say, okay, here's, here's five or ten principles from God's word. How do I pull that together and make a decision right in this life, in this moment of my life? Well, and that's why I think number three, God's voice is discerned through wisdom. 
And I'll, and I'll say right now, this is my rendering down of the scripture, what I'm about to share with you. I'd be willing to uh, give you a foot or two on this one, um, as opposed to the last one, which I won't give you any space at all. But I believe wisdom is this, God's truth plus righteous living plus spiritual observation over time equals wisdom. We, we, we read a verse like this from the Proverbs. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Is, is the, the author of Proverbs, probably King Solomon, is Solomon saying to his son, you should pay attention to what I say just because I'm your father. It's what I'm saying to kids this morning is, your parents have wisdom, so listen to them. That, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I, I believe parent, kids ought to obey parents, and Scripture teaches that. But what I'm saying is this. The difference between a parent and a child, one of the differences is time on the planet. And if that parent has been living for the Lord, this formula is true. If that parent has picked up God's truth, starting with salvation in Christ, they've believed in Christ, they have the Spirit of God in them, and they have been reading God's Word and doing their best to apply God's Word, to live in God's Word, and while they've been uh, learning God's Word and living God's Word, they've been observing the world, okay? Observing the world. And that goes all the way from Simple things like how dangerous a car can be all the way up to how dangerous a relationship can be. Um, one of the differences between me and many of you is how many years I have on the planet and in the Lord. I'm not something special, but I, I will tell you, as a pastor, I've had a tremendous opportunity to observe the spiritual world in the church and out of the church. And it's one of the things I love about getting older because I have perspective now. You know, as, as a young man, my perspective was that big, but as, a, as an older man, my perspective is this big and I can say, oh, look at these trends and look at how these things work out. And I can pick up God's word and say, look at this. And that ought to be true of every believer in a growing sense throughout your days. Next year, you ought to be wiser than last year. And 10 years down the road, you should be way wiser than last year. Not just, not just from your position, whether it's as a parent or a pastor or a CEO or a lead or a whatever you are. It doesn't come from position alone. Just the fact that I'm a dad, just the fact that I'm a pastor, that does not make me wise. That does not make me wise does not come from position alone. In fact, in Hebrews 13, the, the writer is talking to those who receive this and talking to them about their relationship to spiritual leaders. And he says, remember those who rule over you. So there's a position of authority. Remember those who rule over you in a spiritual sense, who have spoken the word of God to you. Okay, they're a teacher of God's word. Whose faith follow. In other words, pay attention to their wisdom. Why? considering the outcome of their conduct. 
He doesn't say submit to them because they have a position of authority. He says you ought to submit to them. You ought to follow their lead considering the outcome of their conduct. What is their life like? Is their life worth following? I don't like that verse that much because it puts a great burden on me to be worthy of respect. It would be much easier to say, I am the man, you have to do what I say. But that's not what God says. God says you should follow the lead, whether it's me or some other spiritual leader in your life, because of the outcome. In other words, it's, it's, it's about this real wisdom that's shown in real righteous living. That's the basis. So wisdom does not come from position alone. And wisdom does not come from age alone. It's not just about time on the planet. I have a, a friend who was a manager some years ago, and they hired a person from out of state who had 10 years of experience. And this person came in and did a very mediocre to poor job, and after a period of time, he said to me, that guy didn't have 10 years of experience. He had one year of experience, and he repeated it 10 times. See, how old you are, let, let, me, let me turn that around. As you look forward at years of age, those years of age present an opportunity to become wise. I want to be a wise old man. I, I want to be that. And the only way it'll come is if I live out this formula day by day by day by day. You can't get wise overnight. You can get facts in your head, but you can't get wise overnight. Wisdom does not come from age alone, but years in the Lord is a factor. Wisdom does not come from knowledge alone. This, uh, God's wisdom is not just about knowing a lot of things. Turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Way back there, 1 Kings chapter 12. Mm. I've been reading through uh, this uh, 1 Kings in my devotions, and I, I came across this passage, and it just, boy, it just jumped off the page at me here. 1 Kings, 1 Kings 12, Solomon has just died. Okay. Solomon, the kingdom was unbelievably magnificent under Solomon. And he's died. And look, now we pick the story up in verse 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, there, there's another whole story there. But we're just going to kind of let that go for now. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. He'd been dwelling in Egypt. They sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. So there's this, this huge congregational meeting, people of Israel. Here's what they said, verse 4. Your father made our yoke, let me just put it to you in plain terms, the tax burden was heavy. Okay? Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father, and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So when he said to them, depart for three days and then come back, 
and the people departed. So in other words, I got to think about it. Verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, and again, these are the elders, these were Solomon's advisors. And they spoke to him, verse 7, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. You see where this is going, can't you? Verse 9. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. Oh, that's going to go good, isn't it? Verse 11, and now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, I will chasten you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people for the turn of events was from the Lord. God allowed this to happen for some other purposes. The thing that's important to understand is that wisdom does not come from knowledge alone. It comes from God's truth plus righteous living plus spiritual observation over time. And Rehoboam had some good and godly men who had served his father well, who gave him some good advice, and he said, no, I'm not going to listen to that. And you know, you can always find someone who will say what you want to hear. I can imagine these young men going, those people think they're going to disrespect you. You're the king. Yeah, I'm the king. I can do what I want. And so he thought, boy, we're going to take this thing. Wisdom comes from God's truth, lived out righteously, plus spiritual observation over time. And Rehoboam failed. He did not discern God's will. And he came to a time of calamity. I'm going to stop in the middle of my sermon as I have done once before because our time has gotten a little bit late. And frankly, I don't want to hurry through the rest of this. I just want to challenge you again with this word from God where it, to, to say this. It is possible to hear God's voice. I don't mean an audible voice. I mean the communication that God has for us uh, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, and it's possible through that to live in peace. And my invitation to you today would be this. If there's no peace in your life, 
I wonder if you're actually hearing God's voice. Because Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God wants us to live in his peace and his joy. And that is my prayer for you today as we conclude the study of God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will use your word today to draw some people to yourself, help them to see the possibility of peace in their life where maybe they haven't seen that possibility before. And I pray, Father, that you will clarify what it means when you speak to us and when we hear your guidance. Thank you that it's possible to walk in your path, and I pray that that will happen today. Pray that you will speak to those who might not know you. Help them to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing them to you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.